to the Digiday Podcast. I am Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. Kaylee, so this week you spoke with David Sandstrom, who is the CMO of Klarna, which is a financial tech company. Financial tech company, imagine they got a pretty good insight into how commerce behaviors changed in the past year. Any interesting tidbits that David was able to share with you in terms of how they've seen online shopping change? Yeah, so online shopping was super popular um, over the pandemic, but it was more so from the fact that like older people were shopping for the first time, people were buying groceries online for the first time, and it's just online shopping became such a, a core part of consumer behavior that he was saying in our conversation that the approaches to advertising and reaching those different types of shoppers um, has definitely uh, not changed, but they've had to be mindful of how they're approaching like a, a 60-year-old shopper online versus, um, you know, a 25-year-old. So he gets into it, but it's it's interesting about the point of which you introduce yourself as the brand um, or as the financial kind of um, checkout option, right? So whereas like a a younger person, you might do more brand awareness and um, advertise to them in a YouTube video, an older person, you might wait until they're about to check out to explain to them this option. So he gets into that. It's, It's pretty interesting about like what they've just learned in the past year. I hope that doesn't mean that, like, since I'm the type of person who will be in the checkout line at the grocery store and I buy stuff, that that means I'm over the hill at this point. Maybe it does. Maybe I am. I don't know. Um, And they also work with publishers because publishers, obviously, I mean, you've been all over this subject of publishers, commerce, businesses. What did he Mm. say about that? Yeah. So I think it's it's almost like the influencer approach in a way of, of looking to partner with a publisher or a um, celebrity in order to pull off from the trust. I don't want to say leech off, but like kind of get that built in trust that publishers and celebrities have with their fan bases or their audiences. For example, um, and we talk about this in the conversation as well, Klarna and Cosmo created this holiday H A U L a day um, <laughs> nice where puns. it was like a, like online shopping had some deals mixed in but they were all Klarna approved retailers so it was encouraged to check out using Klarna that's one example of how they've been working with publishers to really um, introduce audiences to this alternative checkout model essentially it just gives you the option of paying with four payments instead of one lot to cover with david so i'll let you take it away thanks kayla david thank you so much for joining us on the digiday podcast today i think what's interesting about Klarna is that you have this really unique insight into e-commerce and consumer habits especially um you know in the past year those habits have shifted dramatically and i know our listeners are going to be super interested in in hearing about that aspect of things but you also have some really interesting initiatives that you've done with publisher partnerships and some other kinds of integrations online to get Klarna out into the into the universe So I'm definitely excited to hear about all that. But I think to kick it off, it'd be great to hear from you about what Klarna is, high-level descriptor for anyone who might not be familiar. Okay. Yeah. So um, Klarna is uh, at the heart of tech company revolutionizing the way that people buy online and that retailers and brands sell online. 
basically at the heart were a payments company that have have simplified and smoothened and made the world of payments much safer. So basically what we do, we create payment methods that are very consumer friendly from a fee structure and from an interest perspective. Um, and and we th- this is basically what we offer. And you know, at the heart of what we do um, is a payment method called pay in four which basically means that we allow our customers to split a payment in four parts without any fees or APRs. So it's basically a much more consumer-friendly offer or option to credit cards. Uh, But as that payment method and as that way of buying things has grown in popularity, uh, we've uh, amassed a a large amount of consumers, almost fans, that really love this way of paying. So we've expanded our services from paying into everything shopping related, basically. So using our way of thinking around tech and online retail to solve a lot of consumer problems. Anything ranging from returns to parcel trackings to curation and you know shopping entertainment, but at the heart of what we do um, is a extremely modern payment method. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I usually talk about people having moved from gold to cash, from cash to credit cards, and now moving from credit cards to Klarna. It's just a much more up to date, digitalized way of buying things online. Got it. Yeah, and um, Klarna, I I know this from the commercials because it's uh, Swedish for smoother shopping. Um, but I, you guys are an international company to start, right? You you were founded in Sweden. Can you talk about how big your audience is, or not audience, I guess, but your um, consumer base is at this point? Like, how many people have used Klarna? Um, how large is your net of shoppers that you can like learn? from mm-hmm. so as you said we were founded in uh, in the north of europe in sweden uh, that's where we have our base um i've had that for 13 years we've grown our services rapidly um in in europe um and since about three years we're um i mean trying to take over the europe uh, the, the u.s market as well uh, in total we have 90 million consumers um that have shopped with Klarna. Um, we're connected to 250,000 retailers. Um, if we look at the U.S. specifically, we have about 18 million consumers. It is the market that is growing uh, the fastest. Then we also have the Klarna app um, for, for the people that really want to get the most out of the Klarna experience and also where we can engage with our consumers the most. Uh, there we have 25 million people uh, using the Klarna app. So so we, we have a significant footprint to how e-commerce, shopping, and and online consumer behavior works, at least in the Western world. Then we have China and the Eastern world, which is a a chapter on its own, basically. Uh, But in the Western world, I think when it comes to shopping, we together, obviously, with the retailers and the merchants, have become a a powerhouse, uh, which is extremely interesting for us. I think what's interesting, because I've spoken to um, several publishers, but also people who's specialize in um, e-commerce strategy for publishers. They talk about the differences between the US and the European markets um, and, the, and the shoppers' behaviors in those different areas in those two areas. And I'm wondering if you can kind of talk about maybe what are some differences that you see in within these two markets between shopping habits? Like are you finding that like ages kind of differ in in who's 
using Klarna or are there any major standout behavioral differences um, when you're looking I, at it? I mean, if we start with the obvious answer or, or an answer that, that lies close to our core business, which is payment methods and, and the way people actually pay online, there is a huge difference between Europe and the U.S. The U.S. is a country that is historically built uh, and has centered around credit and credit cards, while Europe is a debit market um, so we have completely different ways of behaving and paying for things online. Uh, that comes with, it, it might sound small, but it comes with quite huge implications. The interesting thing that is happening right now is that on a macro level, the U.S. is abandoning credit and credit cards at scale. And that is why Klarna is growing so rapidly, because, again, we, we are a healthy, more consumer-friendly alternative to credit cards. So, so that's a huge difference between the US and, and Europe uh, when it comes to that, you know, paying behavior, basically. If we see at what the pandemic has done, um, at least in Europe, that has introduced a lot of new target audiences to, to buying online. Like my mother buys groceries online nowadays. That wouldn't have happened two years ago. So, so we're seeing the fastest growing consumer group in Europe being people 60 plus. Um, that, that's a completely different pattern to what we saw pre-pandemic and also different to the, uh, to, to the pattern we're seeing in the US. So, so that also comes with a lot of challenges for us as a brand, in my opinion. Like, how, how do we create a brand? How do we create communication and education and information that caters to someone who buys something once a week and is born digital, a, an avid shopper, a passionate online shopper, um, and a truster in technology? versus someone who's going to buy food or medication once or twice a year online and, and doesn't really trust technology. Like, how, how, do, we, how do we make that work? Uh, so, so that's a big difference as well. Big, big difference. And I guess to that point, I have always kind of thought of these buy now, pay later, or like uh, the services like Klarna that divides up payments. I always feel like those are in my mind, targeted towards younger shoppers, maybe if they're buying something that's um, uh, $100 or $2 and they maybe don't have the funds right away to, to pay the whole amount in one go. Um, I guess in the U.S., does your audience tend to scale younger? I know in general, again, prior to the pandemic, online shoppers tended to be younger. Um, but I'm curious about how your consumer base, um, what the demographic might yeah, be. Yeah, so if we look at the demographic, like to some extent, I agree with you. But I do think our demographic just overlaps very well with the typical and average online shopper. Um, so I wouldn't call it a young young audience per se. Um, what we do have is an audience that is used to buying things online that are fairly early adopters when it comes to technology. If you look at the demographics of who we're actually catering to, it, it's a woman between 28 and 32 years old. Um, and then it's it's probably, you know, if we want to call that young or old, I'm not sure if I, I should place that judgment, right? But but between 28 and, and 32 years old, they make a fair amount of online purchases. Um, mo most of our consumer base actually doesn't use our product due to the fact that they don't have money, but that it's actually a better and smarter way of shopping online, partly because it's mobile optimized, partly because there's less risk, and partly due to the um, like due to the cash flow aspects of our product. Like, why pay everything up front when you can spread it out? Like, there are just so many things that make it smarter, um, in my opinion. And, and um, 
yeah, that's basically it. Um, I, I'm not sure the prejudice uh, holds true that it's for a much younger audience. It's just for a modern online shopper, in my opinion. And we see that in the data as well. Got it. No, that makes sense. So for the the older, um, I think you said it was like 60 plus audience in Europe that has been adapting to online shopping at a, at a much faster pace than in the past. Can you talk about your strategy for reaching those potential new you know, users? Because I feel like from the ads that I've seen for Klarna, they've been very much and granted, I, I think I fall into your target demographic age-wise and, and being a, a female, but I feel like the ads I've seen are very targeted at um, a younger, more technologically savvy, putting air quotes around that, consumer. How are you approaching this new demographic of older shoppers? So, so partly we don't target them with advertising per se. We're not building a brand towards them. Um, I, I think both towards a younger target audience, but also towards an, an older target audience, I think the magic lies in the product, right? How we talk in the product, how we talk very closely to the actual point of purchase, that is important. And there we try to cater to different target audiences, right? Um, so, so we don't try to um, address an older target audience with our broader brand campaigns or with the Super Bowl ad or when we do things with Snoop and Lady Gaga, but rather make sure that we're crystal clear at the point of purchase. That's one thing. The other thing is, I, I think what what um, the you know the digital media space lends itself quite well to start segmenting based on media. So here in Europe, probably in the US as well, we have a fair amount of you know news pages online that cater to the to this exact target audience, fifty five plus. Like there are even news pages called News 55, just due to the fact that, that they cater to them. So really adapting our messaging and communication to this target audience, uh, not again, not only in the content, but actually in the choice of, of media, uh, that's been important as well. So as long as you don't hang out on the news site that, that targets 55 plus, um, you're not going to see that sort of, uh, kind of communication. So for older audiences, definitely at point of purchase, it's it's a, a good way to kind of explain what the brand is at that point. For the flip side, for the, your younger audiences, uh, you do these larger kind of ad buys um, against the Super Bowl with celebrities. I've seen branded partnerships on YouTube with the show Uh, with the uh, drag queens Trixie Mattel and, and Katya. Um, I, so I've seen you guys in a lot of places, and I'm curious about your strategy for advertising towards a younger demographic and, and what about those platforms kind of stand out to you? Because um, I think it's it's something that younger companies might be doing a little bit better. I mean, if, if we take one step back from a brand perspective, I, I think the category that we operate in, if we call that the financial category or the banking category, is one of the most hated and distrusted industries in the world. Like you, you see that in any kind of research, people do not trust banks and financial institutions. Um <clears throat> so for us uh, to signal and, and or the reason for that is that I think that that industry completely has lost touch with people, like both on the, the what kind of business models they apply. They feel like they're hundreds of years old um, and, and are taking advantage of people, but also in the way that they portray themselves and the way they talk and the way they try to connect with their target audience. 
it feels literally like they're hundreds of years old. And some of these banks are, so no wonder, right? Uh, but I, I think an issue that my industry has is that it doesn't know how to connect with, I wouldn't even call it a younger target audience because, again, like our core audience is around 30, uh, but with a core or, uh, with an audience that lives online, that has high expectations on, you know, the, the customer experience, on the digitalization, on the way that, that a brand talks and not only the, the way, but where a brand talks, right? So distancing ourselves from how the industry operates and trying to really understand how to connect with a modern audience in 2021 on these platforms, in the way they talk, in the way we talk, in the partnerships that we launch, really understanding that if you want to reach this target audience, you have to understand pop culture, you have to understand how the internet works. Okay, now I sound like I'm 100 years old, but you have to understand, you know, the inner workings of how information is spread, how ideas are spread, and how brands are built. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. Those are the kind of strategies we're adapting. Like, and and yeah, you know, we're not trying to build a credit card, but better. We're trying to build something completely different, and 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 that is why we're applying these tactics. And if we were any kind of other brand, I mean, this is, to me, this is absolute table stakes if you want to build a brand. It's just that my, like, I'm not Nike, so I don't have cutting edge competition in, in you know, uh, Under Armour and Adidas and all of them, right? Um, I'm Klarna, so I, my competition is, they're not cutting edge brand builders, basically. That's why we stand out. Yeah, I think another kind of question for the marketers who are listening is what I'm trying to say. Um, it might be like, how are you pinpointing those pop cultural moments, those YouTubers that have a large following, like the ones that um, if you're not a fan of like some niche groups, you might not be aware of, like, how are you going about going after those um, mm. pop cultural moments? That's not easy work. And then it's, it, as always, it's a combination of art and science, right? Um, we have a thorough process for how we do this. Or again, taking one step back, one, um, one of our strategies is to connect with subcultures and uh, make our products and services relevant for them. Because I don't believe that there are many products and services that are universally relevant. Like the, I try to explain that with like a product that is equally relevant for someone who's 60 versus 30, like that, that, even that might be hard, right? So universally relevant products are hard to come by. So what we try to do, we try to find subcultures and uh, groups of interest and see how can we tailor our proposition to make it relevant for them? How, how can we get closer to their interest and their subculture? And, and the way in which we try to find them, again, is a, it's a mix of art and science. But I do think one thing that is important is that they do have to have an interest in online shopping, right? They do have to have an interest in shopping. If you look at the drag queens, like that subculture, that group of people, they love shopping like both clothing, accessories, makeup, everything around it. They're passionate. It's an interest for them. That's one thing. The second thing is we want them to have a um, visual, uh, you know, stylish outlook that that um, that, that um, equals Klarna's. Like we want them to be extravagant, these subcultures in many ways. doesn't have to be drag queens. We've done things with dog owners as well. They're quite extravagant. They love, you know, fashion, design, you know, showing off. That's important. 
And the third part is that it's important that the subculture is obviously tightly knit together, but has relevancy uh, above and beyond their culture. So if we look again at the drag queens, like it's, it's a tightly knit group, but RuPaul's Drag Race, on the other hand, was also the second most the second most viewed show, I think, in the US two years ago. So so it has a relevancy across. And and that goes for dog owners as well. Like the, when we did that campaign, who's a good shopper? Like they they love shopping for their dogs and for their pets. They're fairly extravagant, at least if we find the 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 the, the fun and outgoing ones. And there's a relevancy beyond that community because people love uh, pictures of cute dogs and cats. So, so trying to find that, and then there's obviously more to our process and the mechanisms around that. But, but that's the semi-short answer, at least. <laughs> Felt fairly long. No, I got it. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, internally, like your operational strategy, like are you hiring people who are like like younger or? or- you know, have backgrounds in pop culture, have, you know, ties into certain parts of, um, you know, the uh, maybe shopping industry? Like, how are you kind of internally um, working to to hit all of those, you know, various pieces? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you, you, you almost answered it. Diversity is extremely important at Klarna. Um, that, that's one thing. The second thing is, again, coming back to old banks and financial institutions having lost touch, is that I don't think that they're users and customers of their own products. They're creating products for someone that they're not. Like, we want to be our own power users. Like, and, and then we're obviously happy and, and uh, humbled by the fact that others love those products as well, but we are our own customers. So if you look at Klarna, it is a mix. It is a fair reflection of our of our consumer base. Uh, we want to use the products. We want to understand the products. We want to be passionate about developing them. And the same thing goes for marketing, right? Uh, I think it's extremely hard to create a product or a service that is perfect if you're not a power user yourself. It is just extremely hard. Um, I would be a very bad, you know, end user of it, or you know producer and creative of a pair of stilettos for example because i don't understand how is it to really walk in them and what are you looking for and like i could probably design something from the outside but like really understanding that Um, and the same thing goes for financial services and our app and our marketing you have to be a part of it and you have to love it we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor I cover primarily publishers and and one thing that they've been saying over the past several months now is that like financial services and, and financial institutions have been one area of advertising that didn't really take a, a hit for them in the books. Like they still have been working with a decent amount of those advertisers, whereas maybe other categories have had fallen over the pandemic. And I'm wondering from your own kind of like marketing and advertising strategy over the past year, um, have you been, had you taken like a, a beat and like pulled back a lot on your ads or have you been kind of like trying to increase the um, the amount of output that you did over the past year. Like, can you talk a little bit about your strategy just from like an advertising and marketing standpoint for Klarna? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
I'm not even sure how to frame it, but when it all started, <laughs> when the pandemic started, I, I'm quite convinced that everyone was very unsure of what this is, how hard is this going to affect you know, individuals, nations. So during the first couple of months, to be honest, we took a step back and had a very mindful approach to this because we didn't really know. We had uh, like some of our consumers, they lost their jobs. Some of our partners and merchants had to shut down due to the pandemic. So, so we were mindful in our communication. After a while, I think, however, both with feedback from retailers and from consumers, we really felt that we have a role to play in this pandemic that is bigger. I mean, we help consumers with cash flow and purchase power in a very sustainable way. Uh, so we fuel the economy there. On the merchant side, we also actually help them growing. When merchants offer our services in their checkouts, when brands do that, they actually, you know, they, they, they grow their business. So, so I don't want to get on a too high of a horse, but to some extent, I think we play a tiny, tiny role in getting society back on its feet, right? Being able to offer our services to consumers and brands is really important because we are an economy fueler. The worst thing that happens in pandemics and recessions is that money doesn't move around. It's not usually that people get poorer or have less cash instantly. To some, that unfortunately happens, but to the vast majority of people, what happens is that they stop spending, they stop moving money around, and that is hurtful to the economy. So, so again, that was a fairly long answer, but but after after those couple of months where we were mindful and obviously and also honestly a bit unsure about where this would take us, we actually accelerated our efforts. Partly due to the fact that we felt that we play a role, but also the fact that there was a huge digitalization going on. A lot of our partners had to shut their stores and move a bit like you know, a big chunk of their GMV online. Many of them weren't really prepared for, I'm not saying prepared for the digitalization because many were, but, but for the volumes that were actually moving from physical retail to, to e-commerce. Um, and we play a part in that as well. So we've been lucky and actually accelerated our efforts and, and we've seen the results of that. Yeah. And the areas that you accelerated, because um, obviously as people shop more online, they were also just consuming content more online as well. Um, can you talk about some of the platforms that you maybe started um, increasing your spend on, um, whether that's YouTube or media partners or connected TV, I'm sure. Um, can you talk about some of those you know, platforms in general that you, you know, took the initiative to do more on? Yeah, I, I mean, in full transparency, I think we're still soul searching a bit and, and R&Ding. And I don't think, at least in the Western world, I'm excluding China now, like if anyone says we're, we've cracked it, they're, they're probably full of shit because no one really knows what platforms or what consumer behaviors are uh, are going to accelerate and, and come out as winners. And, and there are probably a bunch of them. But what we've seen is as um, e-commerce has boomed, as uh, uh, shopping and buy, buying behavior has moved online, we've seen the merge of content curation and entertainment and the actual purchase, right? Uh, that, that was um, moving together slowly even prior, prior to the pandemic. But what we've seen now is... Now, people do not consume content on one platform and then 
like go to another platform to actually buy the things. They expect the, you know, the merge of entertainment, curation, and the actual, you know, getting a good deal and buying things, right? And th that's why we've seen the boom of live shopping or, you know, shopping entertainment or whatever we want to call it. And and we've been experimenting on, on you know, a variety of uh, platforms like short formats on Instagram and Instagram stories, obviously. Uh, we've been experimenting very much on TikTok lately. Um, YouTube has obviously um, the, the benefits of search and a lot of other things, established creators. We try to build our own channels in that as well. And um, so it's just, again, we're still soul searching. There are a couple of really know tough nuts to crack um, and the, the the biggest difference between china and the western world in my opinion is distribution like china is such an established system for distribution of content people consume content completely differently uh, but in the western world um we, we haven't really cracked distribution uh, or, or or the equivalence of footfall like there there are millions spent on good content that you know 126 people view so it says like that it, it's that thing that needs to be cracked and that's where we're experimenting both with the social platforms but also with our retail partners such as macy's like what's the perfect mix of that and that is also where you have to throw in the you know occasional influencer or celebrity because that that, that to me is the big bottleneck and the big question mark you mentioned TikTok, and I did want to ask about some of those um, emerging, I'd say, platforms as well. I mean, with TikTok, I think that one is that one's been a little bit difficult for maybe like uh, commerce publishers or, or brands to have a huge impact on because the shopability aspect isn't quite there yet. It, it's a little bit difficult. You have to kind of go to a profile, and then you have to click out of the app, and then you have to like kind of follow a series of things and. It's not it's not like super easy, but you did mention that you're you're looking at um, TikTok and, and how to kind of integrate that into your marketing strategy. I, what's the appeal there for you? Like, how is this a platform that kind of works for your company when checkout is is the biggest piece of the equation? I mean, you're spot on here. And, and one thing I know they're going to fix, it's just a matter of time, is the ability to check out on TikTok, right? That that experience is subpar right now. But in all honesty, it's subpar on almost any social platform. It's subpar on Insta, it's subpar on Facebook. Like, it's not a good experience. I was actually shocked by the quality of the of Instagram shopping when it came. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure they nailed it, to be honest. Um, when it comes to TikTok, though, like... Or, or at least my philosophy um, when it comes to social is that the platform that caters to the creators in the best way is going to win. Like that is why I think that Facebook has failed in the last couple of years because yeah, my mother is basically a top creator on Facebook and, and, and she's not a good creator. <laughs> I can tell you that she's not a good creator. So, so for brands, I do think not being associated with the platform itself, not being associated with the capabilities, but actually harnessing the immense creativity and imagination that these people hold. Like it is beyond uh, astonishing, in my opinion, the, the, uh, the imagination that you see on um on TikTok and being part of that, being part of starting obviously any kind of, any kind of brand brief now says we want to start a TikTok challenge, but, but uh, you know, 
having the opportunity and possibility to, to actually start something like that with the help of creators and again inserting your brand in a pop cultural discussion that's the at, at least for now that is the holy grail it's probably going to change within a couple of months again as it always does but for now it's the holy grail the challenge for us with tiktok for example when you talked about um, you asked me about like uh, targeting a younger audience which we actually don't do in anything but but the the reservation i've had from tiktok is the inability as of now to be crisp in our targeting towards an older or towards a demographic that is between 25 and 35 and um, it is still um and that, that targeting is not strong enough on tiktok got it yeah no that makes sense i mean uh, just from like a personal use case, I'll I'll be watching a video made by a 30-year-old and the next thing I know I'm watching a video made by a 14-year-old. It just even – it's hard yeah, to, exactly. again, pin, pin down. Yeah, um, you usually talk about like things like brand safety and those aspects on a lot of platforms. I, I'm not sure they've put enough effort into that yet, but I, I'm sure they will. Got it, yeah. Um, but you also mentioned the use of like celebrities and, and influence to a degree as in your strategy as well. Um, I want to know more about your, I guess, approach to celebrity partnerships, but I'm also curious about your approach to publishing partnerships because I feel like those have the same, um, uh, the same kind of direction of like where the influences lie, where the trusted resources lie for for audiences and um yeah i'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through that you know approach and, and how that kind of serves you know klarna yeah of course um I, i'm not sure this is going to be groundbreaking or rocket science but but i do think two big aspects come into play here the one thing is distribution distribute like distribution in the last couple of years has been a monopoly and is probably still a monopoly to you know or uh, to a couple of like a couple of social platforms hold that monopoly right distribution is freaking hard there, there there's not a lack of good ideas out there there's not a lack of good content there's a huge lack of distribution how do you actually reach people um, that that is why I'm often surprised that media agencies don't hold a, an even greater power over um, over brands and over uh, over retailers. But but that that's a separate topic. But but distribution is one thing. Publishers have that distribution to some extent, at least. Celebrities have that distribution. I mean, that's one thing, a big aspect for us that we need to take into account. The second thing is, and, and this is very obvious when I talk about it, but um, you know influence um you know is an important aspect of both publishers and as you can hear on the know with the name like influencers right fashion curation um you know uh, reviews and things like that they come down to a simple question which is says who if i would tell you that the the like these are the sneakers of the week or or this is the you know this is this, uh, you know, false color palette. You would ask me, says who? And if I told you it's Lady Gaga, you would probably be like, well, that's interesting. If I told you it's my wife, you would be like, ah, doesn't like, that doesn't sound too much. Coming back to publishers and influencers, they have this says who that a lot of brands lack. Like I have tons and tons of interesting data on purchase behavior and things like that. We do a lot of interesting things with that. 
but it's still not always enough to convince people. They ask me, like, if I said, these are the biggest fashion trends of, you know, of this summer, they're going to ask me, says who? And, and publishers and influencers still have this, says who? Because they've built this community, this relationship to, 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 their, uh, to their fan base, basically. So tapping into distribution and tapping into the actual influence, that is important. I want to get into the the publisher side of things a little bit more. Um, for example, I've covered uh, Cosmos Holiday, which you did, and they did in partnership with Klarna. And I'm curious about how that you know publisher tie-in helped Klarna in the end. Like I, I'm wondering how these types of publisher, um, you know, says who answers, you know, helps out with the getting people to. Um, choose the Klarna option at checkout. Like how do, how do, I guess maybe in this example with Cosmo, like how did that ultimately serve, um, you know, Klarna in the end? Yeah. So, so basically on the business, uh, on the business side of it, it's fairly easy. Like we want people to utilize the product. We want people to try the product. So, so teaming up with Cosmo is, um, I mean, they have this, they have the distribution and they have the 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 brand, the clout, whatever you want to call it, the says who, right? They they have a strong following that they've built over over years. So connecting ourselves to a brand like that is very important, and teaming up with them is very important because they give us legitimacy, right? That that's the you know that that's usually the reason for for teaming up. The other thing is, I do think they actually hold influence. Uh, they hold influence over their their fan base. So if they say, "Hey, you should try Klarna," or "or this dress is great, you should try Klarna," people are actually going to try Klarna. And and we have a strong belief that we have a superior product. So if if we just get people to try it once, they're going to see that, "Hey, this was way easier, way better, way smarter than my usual way of buying things online." I'm going to continue doing that. So, so one thing is, you know, the the brand, you know, the brand affinity, be showing up together with Cosmo and, and their brand and their clout. Uh, the other thing is the actual trial part, just making sure that as many people as possible try Klarna because we know they're going to love it. So, so those are the kind of partnerships we're looking for. And then again, I do think going both ways, uh, we shouldn't underestimate the reach that Klarna has. Like we have 90 million worldwide consumers. We have 18 million consumers in the U.S. Finding, again, coming back to distribution, finding smart ways of distributing great content in their channels, in our channels, doing joint partnerships for our consumer base and for theirs. I, I think um, yeah, there, there's a lot of value to that. There's a lot of value to that. So looking ahead in the year or next year i'm not sure how how far your uh, marketing strategy extends but um are these kind of publisher direct partnerships um as e-commerce increases as a as a trend and uh publishers see that area of their business increasing as well mm -hmm. are these publisher partnerships something that you'll be looking to prioritize going forward or um, how do you yep. kind of think about that This is actually one of our main strategies and, and one of our main uh, product development areas because I personally believe that publishers are a uh, underutilized sales channel. Like publishers have historically um, been great at content, been great at getting, um, getting and distributing traffic 
Um, that, that is what they ha have historically been good at. But they haven't really uh, realized their potential in creating sales. So in, instead of redistribution, uh, redistributing all of the, the traffic they create, they should keep the traffic on their sites and closing the sales on their sites. So I think we're going to see, and we're, we've already started to see that, but more publishers becoming retailers or more publishers actually becoming point of purchases. And the the products we're developing right now are extremely interesting in this area. Like we're going to help publishers to become not retailers, but point of purchases. And we're going to help our brands and retailers to actually get a much bigger distribution of their products and of their offerings and their uh, their content. So we're teaming up with a lot of publishers at the moment uh, to see what kind of joint ventures we can do in, in order to really you know, close the loop with publishers. Not make, not only having them be, you know, a, a distributor of traffic, but actually a, a point of sale. I'm also wondering, like, your strategy towards um, programmatic versus direct sold, like advertising. I'm. It feels like a lot of what we've been talking about has been very like, um, either you know large campaigns that have a lot of integration with the celebrity or the brand or the the influencer. Um, I'm wondering, like, how is your strategy towards programmatic? Is that something that you think about um, quite a bit? Is that something that, you know, you talk about distribution a lot. I feel like programmatic to a degree has that um, perk, but I'm wondering, is that something that you have noticed works for Klarna? Yeah, I mean, it, it comes with the, you know, but... This is probably the expected answer, but to some extent we do programmatic. I, however, think that like what has worked well for us is to understand the context, understand the context that the consumer is in when they, you know, interact with our communication. Programmatic doesn't take that into account at all. Programmatic, the only thing it takes into account is who is this person in front of the computer or with, with a cell phone in their hand, a smartphone in their hand, right? Um, but it doesn't understand the context really, right? Doesn't understand like the site you're on or, or what kind of, you know, it's, it's hard to build a stronger and bigger story around that. I think programmatic lends itself fairly well to mass distribution, simplistic, to some extent, personalized messaging, uh, but I do think programmatic is overselling its ability to be personal, but, but that's probably a different topic. But we have a healthy mix. Um, usually, uh, I, um, I'm interested in working in direct relationships because, because you can just get so much more out of the actual relationship. Programmatic has been more a cherry on top to get distribution of our, I would say, more simplistic assets, to be honest. I guess my last question for you is, uh, I'm curious about how you're approaching the end of this year into the next year. As the world is reopening and, and people are going out into the world more, um, and in theory, shops reopen, in-person shopping becomes more of a, a strategy, or not a strategy, but more of a focus. Um, how are you, I guess, strategizing for that uh like, do you think that there's going to be a potential drop off in e-commerce? Do you think that, um, you know, the the habits that have been formed over the past year and a half are going to stick around? I'm, I'm curious about what your focus is for the next, you know, year and a half or so. In all honesty, I don't know. Uh, but but my hypothesis is that that current habits are going to stay to a large extent. 
I do think shops are going to reopen uh, quite successfully. Um, so I actually foresee people to start spending more than prior to the pandemic. But this is just this is just my personal opinion and and not wild guess, but but guess at least. Um, and with that said, I think that the services we offer and we see that with our comp- competitors as well in store is still a huge play and something that needs to be be cracked from a buy now pay later perspective right um, i think if we look at the western world although e-commerce is huge like pre-pandemic it was still only like between 15 and 20 percent of total commerce uh, so, so in store is extremely important so so one thing that has been key to klarna is to be agnostic offer our services online but also offline so or in store right so that's it that's a key thing but i do think like taking a step back and, and looking at what's happening in the data when it comes to consumer behaviors i mean we we've been in total hibernation when it comes to fashion accessories expressing ourselves dinner parties you know are, are a lost memory almost so now, when, when when society opens up, hopefully after the pandemic, I do think there is an urge to express yourself through, you know, fashion, design, clothing, accessories, makeup and stuff like that as well. I'm actually looking forward to that. Um, I mean, what, what we saw in the, you know, the end of last year, end of 2020, um, searches and shopping for loungewear was at an all time high. And, and again... I think we've been in some kind of fashion hibernation and I'm personally looking forward to the world breaking free of that and, you know, wanting to accelerate again within that. So I'm looking forward to a really good second half year. That makes sense to me. Thank you so much, David, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, This has been a really interesting and, and fun conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music.